Perioperative Care of the Patient with Acoustic Neuroma by Kristen Oster Abstract Acoustic neuromas, also known as vestibular schwannomas, are slow-growing benign tumors that develop on the eighth cranial nerve. Common signs and symptoms of an acoustic neuroma include hearing loss and balance disturbances. A physical examination, a hearing evaluation, and diagnostic imaging assist in the diagnosis of an acoustic neuroma. Patients with a confirmed tumor have three treatment options, observation, stereotactic radiosurgery, and surgical removal. Complications include cerebrospinal fluid leakage, damage to ancillary brain structures, facial nerve damage, and bleeding or vascular injury. This article focuses on the surgical removal of an acoustic neuroma and the role of the perioperative nurse in the perioperative care of the patient. An acoustic neuroma, also known as a vestibular schwannoma, is a benign, slow-growing tumor that develops on the vestibulocochlear nerve, that is, the eighth cranial nerve, inside the internal auditory canal. Acoustic neuromas constitute 8% of all primary brain neoplasms, 16% of benign brain tumors, and 85% of tumors located at the cerebellopontine angle. The mean age of patients with this type of tumor ranges from 50 to 55 years, with no significant difference in incidence by sex. Between 2004 and 2010, a total of 23,739 acoustic neuromas were diagnosed in the United States. This translates to an annual mean of 3,300 new acoustic neuromas diagnosed per year. The overall age-adjusted incidence rate for acoustic neuromas is 1.09 per 100,000 people in the United States. Acoustic neuromas are classified based on tumor size, that is, small, less than 1 centimeter, medium, 1 to 3 centimeters, and large, greater than 3 centimeters. Pathophysiology An acoustic neuroma results from an overproduction of Schwann cells, that is, methylene sheath-producing cells, on the vestibulocochlear nerve. As the tumor grows, it compresses nearby nerves, such as the cochlear or vestibular nerve, against the bony auditory canal. This compression results in hearing loss and balance issues. If tumor growth extends outside the auditory canal, additional cranial nerves are at risk for compression, including the trigeminal nerve and the facial nerve. As a tumor enlarges, it displaces surrounding brain structures. Acoustic neuromas can also result from the genetic disorder neurofibromatosis type 2, NF2, a rare autosomal genetic disorder involving mutations in the NF2 genes on chromosome 22. Patients with NF2 develop bilateral acoustic neuromas usually by the age of 30 years. The growth of bilateral acoustic neuromas is commonly associated with NF2 compared with unilateral acoustic neuromas, which are commonly associated with the spontaneous overgrowth of Schwann cells. Signs and Symptoms The signs and symptoms of an acoustic neuroma result from compression of the surrounding anatomy inside and outside the bony auditory canal. Common signs and symptoms include unilateral hearing loss, tinnitus, balance disturbances, and a loss of facial sensation and movement related to nerve compression. Hearing loss 
is the most common presenting symptom regardless of age and is characterized by a change in the perception and acuity of sound. Individuals can experience a gradual onset of hearing loss. Hearing loss presents in 85% of patients. Tinnitus, the conscious perception of hearing a sound, for example, described as an internal hissing or ringing sensation, when no external sound is present, is the second most common presenting symptom. More than 60% of patients report tinnitus as a presenting symptom. Balance disturbances, for example, often described as dizziness, are categorized as either vertigo or disequilibrium. Vertigo is the whirling sensation experienced by an individual when no motion is occurring. Vertigo has an incidence rate from 18 to 58%. Disequilibrium is characterized by the sensation of feeling off-balance or unsteady. Disequilibrium may be experienced later as tumor growth begins to affect the cerebellum. Cranial nerve dysfunction occurs when tumor growth extends beyond the internal auditory canal. Surrounding cranial nerves that may be affected include the trigeminal, facial, glossopharyngeal, vagus, and accessory nerves. Individuals with an affected trigeminal nerve may experience facial numbness, hyperesthesia, paresthesia, or pain in the malar region of the face. As many as 12% of patients experience facial paresthesia because of trigeminal nerve compression and 6% experience facial nerve palsy. Advanced acoustic neuromas can result in compression of the brainstem and cerebellum. Symptoms include balance problems and loss of function associated with balance disruption. As brainstem compression becomes severe, the fourth ventricle collapses and hydrocephalus results, causing persistent headache and visual problems. When these advanced signs and symptoms present, they can be life-threatening and require immediate intervention because of the potential for increased intracranial pressure and displacement of important brain structures. Diagnostic Tests Physicians select diagnostic tests based on the patient's physical examination and presenting signs and symptoms. The physical examination includes an ear examination. Using an otoscope, the physician visually inspects the ear canal for discharge, inflammation, or enlargement and assesses the patient for cranial nerve function. He or she assesses acoustic nerve function using the Weber test for hearing, during which the care provider taps a tuning fork, then places it on the patient's forehead to assess unilateral hearing loss through bone conductivity. A hearing assessment assists in determining the degree of tumor growth and involvement of surrounding anatomy. Hearing also is assessed through a pure tone audiogram to identify the patient's current hearing level. The preservation of hearing is an important goal after tumor removal, and this initial assessment of hearing loss provides a baseline to compare with postoperative hearing levels. Other hearing tests using various tones and sounds may be used to assess variations in hearing. The Brainstem Auditory Evoked Response, or Auditory Brain System Response Test, is used to compare hearing between ears. This test records the synchronized response of neurons in the lower auditory pathway caused by an auditory stimulus. Additionally, the physician evaluates any balance disturbances, such as vertigo, through testing if the vestibular or balanced part of the eighth cranial nerve is involved. This test is called 
and electronystagmography. During the examination, the physician places electrodes near the patient's eyes to record eye movement in response to warm and cold air gently blown into the outer ear. Atypical eye movement, that is nystagmus, may indicate which vestibular nerve is involved and the level of nerve involvement. Diagnostic imaging, that is computed tomography, magnetic resonance imaging, MRI scans, is used to determine the size and location of an acoustic neuroma. Computed tomography scans assist in identification of tumor location and size and surrounding bony structure involvement. The identification of bony structure involvement is helpful in determining the best surgical approach if surgery is the selected method of treatment. An MRI scan allows the surgeon to see the size of the tumor and the extent of its growth into surrounding anatomical areas, displacing the surrounding anatomy. Treatment Options The patient has three treatment options, observation, stereotactic radiosurgery, and surgical removal. Decisions about treatment are based on patient factors, including age, NF2 diagnosis, symptoms, tumor size, hearing level, neurological deficits, and overall health. This is a shared decision-making process between the patient and the physician. Observation Observation is a conservative treatment option for patients who do not exhibit symptoms indicating neurological involvement. If a tumor is small and is demonstrating limited or no growth, clinicians may decide it is appropriate to monitor the tumor for growth. After an initial diagnosis, the patient undergoes MRI scans every six months for three years, and then every two years for a minimum of 10 years. Patients also undergo a pure tone audiogram to determine the progression of hearing loss. Disadvantages to observation are the risk of tumor growth and progressive hearing loss resulting in treatment option changes. Stereotactic radiosurgery. Stereotactic radiosurgery is a non-surgical treatment that delivers a single targeted dose of radiation to the tumor during several sessions to induce tumor cell necrosis while limiting radiation exposure to surrounding healthy tissue. The timing of tumor death can range from 6 to 18 months after treatment. Stereotactic radiosurgery has a reported success rate of more than 95% in controlling the growth of an acoustic neuroma. The advantages of stereotactic radiosurgery include its non-invasive approach and high degree of treatment accuracy. Disadvantages include tumor regrowth and the development of radiation-induced tumors. Surgical removal. The third and primary treatment option is surgical removal. The goals of surgical removal include controlling tumor growth and preserving hearing in affected cranial nerves. A translabyrinthine, middle fossa, or retrosigmoid suboccipital surgical approach can be used. Translabyrinthine approach. The translabyrinthine approach is preferred when the patient has poor to no hearing on the affected side or if preservation of hearing is not practical. It offers direct access to the inner auditory canal, allowing the surgeon to identify the facial nerve more easily. Advantages to this approach include the ability to directly see and preserve the facial nerve, 
minimal retraction of surrounding brain structures, and limited cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, leak. Disadvantages include the potential for complete hearing loss in the affected ear. Middle fossa approach. The middle fossa approach is used when patients have good hearing and the tumor is small. Advantages to this approach include minimal damage to the inner ear and hearing preservation. Disadvantages include temporal lobe retraction and poor surgical position of the facial nerve in relation to the location of the tumor, resulting in the potential for facial nerve injury. Retrosigmoid suboccipital approach. The retrosigmoid suboccipital approach is used based on the size and location of tumor and the patient's hearing that is good or moderate. The advantage of this approach is hearing preservation. Disadvantages include postoperative headaches, CSF leaks, cerebellar retraction, and limited access to the facial nerve. Perioperative care. When surgical removal is the best treatment option, the patient moves through the perioperative continuum of care. These procedures require the preparation of specialized equipment and an understanding of the cranial and middle ear anatomy and neurosurgery procedures. Preoperative phase. In the preoperative phase, the surgeon, anesthesia professional, and RN circulator assess the patient and prepare him or her for surgery. Preparation includes performing a physical examination, obtaining the patient's health history, reviewing medications, laboratory tests, and the informed consent, assessing peripheral venous access, and determining whether any additional diagnostic tests are needed. Additional computed tomography and MRI scans may be ordered for the day of the procedure according to physician preference. The surgeon uses these scans during the intraoperative phase of care to guide the surgery. The surgeon and anesthesia professional obtain informed consent before the patient's arrival in the OR, during which time they verify that the patient understands and consents to the planned procedure and anesthesia plan. During this preparation, the surgical team interviews the patient and completes the final safety checks. The RN circulator reviews the patient's electronic health record and verifies patient identification, the type of procedure, and the surgical site listed on the informed consent. He or she also identifies site markings, allergies, resuscitation and NPO status, the presence of appropriate diagnostic tests and blood products, and deep vein thrombosis prophylaxis. He or she transports the patient to the OR after all safety checks are complete. OR preparation. Before the patient arrives in the OR, the RN circulator and other members of the surgical team prepare the surgical suite. This team can consist of a neurosurgeon, neurotologist, surgical first assistant, anesthesia professional, RN, surgical technologist, and neuromonitoring technologist. Surgical team members require a high level of clinical knowledge in both neurosurgery and ear surgery to provide safe, effective care. The preparation of the OR is based on physician preference. If a neurosurgeon and neurotologist perform the procedure together, they will require non-sterile equipment, sterile instrumentation, and sterile supplies. Together, the RN circulator and surgical technologist 
gather and organize identified non-sterile equipment, sterile instrumentation, and sterile supplies. Non-sterile equipment includes the electrosurgical unit, irrigating bipolar unit, powered suction system, ultrasonic aspirator, microscope, and intraoperative navigation system. Each item of non-sterile equipment requires the RN circulator and surgical technologist to have extensive knowledge about assembly, maintenance, and troubleshooting needs. The RN circulator verifies that all non-sterile equipment is functioning properly and performs all safety checks as outlined by the manufacturer's instructions for use. Some items, for example the microscope, intraoperative navigation system, may require additional assembly time because of their complexity. The microscope requires lens and balance adjustments based on the type of procedure, laterality of incision, and surgeon preference. During the procedure, the surgeon adjusts the focus setting according to the anatomical structure present. The RN circulator performs the initial verification of the microscope settings with a final verification completed by the surgeon. Intraoperative navigation systems require confirmation that the diagnostic images were uploaded correctly. Intraoperative navigation assists the surgeon in being able to see the patient's anatomy clearly in relation to the location of the instrumentation being used for the tumor removal. Sterile instrumentation includes neurosurgical instruments, mastoid, ear, and microsurgical instruments, high-speed drills for cranial or mastoid access, intraoperative navigation instruments, and cranial plating systems. Sterile supplies can include soft goods, suture, and a lumbar drain kit. The RN circulator verifies the sterility of all items by checking sterile indicators, inspecting packaging, and verifying expiration dates in collaboration with a surgical technologist. The RN circulator and surgical technologist perform a surgical count of all soft and sharp surgical supplies. Intraoperative phase. In the OR, the surgical team assists the patient in moving from the gurney onto the OR bed, which requires attention because of the patient's hearing and balance disturbances. The RN circulator and anesthesia professional prepare the patient for general anesthesia by attaching all patient monitoring devices, including the blood pressure cuff, heart rate, temperature, and pulse oximeter, and capnograph. The RN circulator places sequential compression devices on the patient's legs and turns them on before induction. After induction and insertion of the endotracheal tube, the anesthesia professional may insert an arterial line for continuous blood pressure monitoring. The RN circulator inserts an indwelling urinary catheter to monitor urinary output. Before patient positioning, the neurosurgeon and neurotologist determine whether a lumbar drain is needed to monitor CFS pressure intraoperatively. A lumbar drain removes CSF, which aids in surgical exposure and decreases intracranial pressure. If necessary, a second separate back table is assembled for the lumbar drain kit and its required supplies. For lumbar drain placement, the team places the patient in a lateral position after induction with a lower back curving outward toward the neurosurgeon. The RN circulator holds the patient in a lateral position while the first assistant prepares and places sterile drapes at the lumbar drain site. The neurosurgeon places the lumbar drain and applies dressings and secures them in place. When complete, the team carefully positions the patient in the supine position 
with a lumbar drains drainage bag placed close to the anesthesia professional for continuous monitoring. When ready, all team members assist in rotating the OR bed 180 degrees and completing the final positioning of the patient. After the patient is positioned, the RN circulator places the neuromonitoring electrodes and performs surgical site skin antisepsis. Patient positioning. Patient position depends on tumor location and physician preference. It is important for the RN circulator to collect the positioning equipment required to position the patient safely before the procedure. The goals of proper positioning include maintaining the patient's airway and circulation, preventing nerve or pressure injury damage, and adequately exposing the operative site. Safe patient positioning starts with a comprehensive assessment of the patient before transport to the OR. The RN circulator must help ensure the patient is safe during positioning and the procedure. This includes preventing the surgical team members from leaning on the patient, placing the patient's arms in a neutral position, and applying gel or foam padding to vulnerable bony prominences and pressure points. The RN circulator performs regular physical assessment for signs and symptoms of circulatory, respiratory, or skin compromise throughout the procedure. Accurate documentation of patient positioning and positioning devices is important as well. Supine. The supine position provides adequate exposure of the anterior and middle fossa. In the supine position, the patient lies flat on the bed with his or her face and torso facing upward and legs extended and uncrossed at the ankles with a pillow under the knees. The RN circulator places foam or gel padding at the wrists, elbows, and heels for pressure relief and injury prevention and tucks the patient's arms in a neutral position at the sides of the bed using a draw sheet. A safety belt is placed over the knees to secure the patient without impeding circulation to the lower extremities. A gel positioning roll can be placed under the patient's operative side shoulder to assist in operative site exposure. The team places the patient's head on a neurosurgical horseshoe stabilizing device or neurosurgical three-point headrest. Positioning of the patient's head should always include the surgeon's participation to ensure proper alignment of the head and neck. It is important not to move the patient after the head is positioned. Inadvertent movement may cause injury to the scalp or neck. In the supine position, without efforts to pad and protect vulnerable areas, patients are at risk for nerve damage from compression. Nerves at risk include the radial, ulnar, peroneal, and tibial nerves. Vulnerable bony prominences requiring pressure injury protection include the occiput, spine, scapula, olecranon, sacrum, and calcaneus. Lateral. The lateral position provides good exposure for the parietal, posterior fossa, supratentorial, and temporal surgical approaches. In the lateral position, the patient lies on his or her dependent side with the operative side facing upward. With the assistance of a minimum of four team members, the patient's shoulders and hips are turned onto the dependent side simultaneously to prevent torsion on the spine. The team flexes the patient's lower leg at the knee and positions the upper leg straight, placing a pillow between the lower extremities. The team positions both arms on an arm board with a pillow running lengthwise in between the arms, placing additional foam or gel padding at the wrist, elbow, knee, 
ankle, and heel of the non-operative side for pressure relief and injury prevention. An auxiliary gel roll is placed under the non-operative auxiliary area to prevent brachial plexus nerve damage. A safety strap is placed above the knees, and additional silk tape can be used to aid in safely maintaining the position if needed. The team places the patient's head on a neurosurgical horseshoe stabilizing device or neurosurgical three-point headrest while maintaining proper head and neck alignment. Patients in the lateral position are at risk for nerve damage of the brachial plexus, radial, median, ulnar, and peroneal nerves if appropriate padding and protection are not used. Vulnerable bony prominences requiring pressure injury vigilance include the temporal area, the acromion and olecranon processes, and the iliac crest, greater trochanter, knee, and malleolus. Surgical Site Preparation and Neuromonitoring Before the application of skin antisepsis, the neuromonitoring technologist inserts and secures electrodes in the patient's face, neck, and shoulder skin to assist in intraoperative facial nerve monitoring. After insertion, he or she attaches the corresponding cables to the neuromonitoring interface box and monitor. Throughout the procedure, the technologist can monitor the electrical output of the facial nerve. If changes or concerns in the electrical output are observed, he or she communicates this to the surgeon. A primary goal of the excision of an acoustic neuroma is the preservation of the facial nerve. Therefore, monitoring its function intraoperatively is vital. Selection and application of PrEP solution. Patient assessment and best practice recommendations contribute to the selection of skin antisepsis. In collaboration with the surgical team, the RN circulator reviews the patient's health history, allergies, and skin integrity to identify surgical skin antisepsis solution. The application of a skin antisepsis solution should entail aseptic technique to decrease the risk of surgical side infection and adherence to manufacturer's instructions for use, which outline the safe and effective use of the product. Failure to adhere to manufacturer's instructions increases risk for patient harm and potentially ineffective skin antisepsis. The RN circulator begins skin preparation at the incision site and moves outward to the periphery of the identified surgical site. If surgeon preference includes the operative side ear, special care in preparing the ear is used to avoid instilling antiseptic skin prep solution in the ear canal. Certain antiseptic solutions, for example, fluorhexidine glutinate, are considered ototoxic and should either not be used near the ear or used with caution. Surgical Site Skin Antisepsis Options Surgical site location is based on tumor location and surgical approach. Surgeons commonly make a postauricular incision on the operative side. A postauricular incision requires the preparation of the incision site, the external ear, and part of the cranium. If needed, hair removal using single-use hair clippers is performed in the preoperative area and cleaned from the site. Surgical skin antisepsis options include povidone iodine and chloroxylenol 3%. Alcohol prep solutions, that is 70 to 91.3% alcohol, denature cell wall proteins when used as a surgical site antiseptic skin prep solution. Isopropyl alcohol 70% may be used as an antiseptic in the ear canal 
but it is not FDA-approved for surgical skin antisepsis. Alcohol-based PrEP solutions combined with iodine or iodophore-based solutions are recommended for external use only and are contraindicated for use in the ear, mouth, and eyes. Contraindications to use include patient sensitivity to iodine. If used, alcohol-based PrEP solutions need to be completely dry before sterile drape placement and use of electrosurgery to prevent a surgical fire. Alcohol-based products should not be used in the hair because these products are flammable and may take up to one hour to dry in the hair. Iodine-based PrEP solutions uncouple iodine, which is then absorbed by microbes into inactive key cytoplasmic pathways. Iodine-based PrEP solutions can be applied to the external areas of the ears and mouth, but should not be used internally. Contraindications include patient sensitivity or allergy to iodine. The procedure. After the surgical technologist, first assistant, and surgeon apply sterile surgical drapes and assemble the sterile instrumentation, they perform a timeout before the surgeon makes the incision. The surgical approach determines subsequent steps of tumor removal. The surgeon begins the procedure with a post-auricular incision to begin exposure of the skull. He or she elevates soft tissue to expose bone and performs a craniotomy using a high-speed drill. The resulting bone flap is elevated and preserved on the sterile field. The surgical technologist preserves and labels the bone flap on the sterile back table to identify the location of the bone flap for later re-implementation by the surgeon. The surgeon opens the dura, releases the CSF, and retracts associated brain anatomy to assist in resecting the tumor. The surgeon resects the tumor in relation to the associated brain anatomy, facial nerve involvement, and bone landmarks, such as the internal auditory canal. After removing the tumor, the surgeon establishes hemostasis and repairs the dura. He or she then applies the bone flap to the cranial defect and secures it in place using a plating system for neurosurgical procedures. Throughout the procedure, the RN circulator completes all requests from surgical team members at the sterile field, maintains patient safety, and documents all components of the procedure. The verification of correct surgical counts is performed at procedure completion to ensure there are no retained foreign items. At the end of the surgical procedure, the RN circulator assists the surgeon and other surgical team members to remove surgical drapes, positioning devices, and other bed attachments. He or she completes a full-body skin assessment and verifies that all neuromonitoring electrodes have been removed. The anesthesia professional begins to reverse the patient's general anesthesia with the assistance of the RN circulator, followed by safe transfer of the patient to a gurney and transport to the post-anesthesia care unit. Postoperative phase. Potential intraoperative complications include damage to the facial nerve, CSF leak, bleeding or vascular injury, and damage to ancillary brain structures. The facial nerve is at risk for damage because of its proximity to the internal auditory canal. A CSF leak can occur if the dura of the brain is not closed completely. Nurses should monitor for CSF leakage at the surgical site. If clear fluid drainage at the site is found, they should notify the surgeon. Bleeding or vascular injury can occur if the ancillary vascular structures are affected by the tumor. Damage to ancillary brain structures, 
including cerebral contusion or infarction, can occur after the extradural retraction of the brain during the procedure. Additional monitoring of postoperative complications includes the patient's level of consciousness, respiratory control, blood pressure, and neurological status. A decline in consciousness may result in diminished airway reflexes. Respiratory control may be impaired as a result of brain system compression and cause irregular breathing patterns. Nurses should monitor the patient's respiratory rate and oxygenation levels during the postoperative period. Postcraniotomy, intracranial hemorrhage may be precipitated by increased blood pressure, and nursing personnel should therefore monitor the patient's blood pressure during the postoperative period. Nurses should complete neurological observations at timed intervals as specified by the surgeon. Observations should include the Glasgow Coma Scale rating, cranial nerve function, and pupillary responses. The importance of neurological observation depends on the surgical approach and the surrounding anatomy affected by the procedure. Conclusion The care of the patient with an acoustic neuroma is complex and requires a multidisciplinary approach. Surgical removal is the primary treatment pathway, requiring the patient to move through the perioperative phases of care. The intraoperative phase of care requires a high level of cranial, ear anatomy, and neurosurgical and ear surgery clinical knowledge to provide safe patient care.